Welcome to episode number 52 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Khalid Al-Masri, who is the founder of Rise, which is a fun-packed three-day business conference in Dallas, Texas, that brings together gym owners, studio founders, and independent trainers to learn and grow with the leading entrepreneurs in their industry. You can learn more at attendrise.com. And this is an episode I've wanted to do for a bit because I know Khaled, is a, he's been putting on this event for a while. It started in Northern California and just in a gym with a few people and it's grown into a couple hundred people that are going to be at this conference now at a hotel conference center. And it's great to see the growth over time. And I wanted to dig into all the details with how to put on a conference what that looks like, how do you grow it, how do you get speakers, how do you get sponsors, like all of those different details of putting on this type of event. And Cali did not disappoint. Like He provided so many different details on all of that and his whole process for going through this and how it's become the success that it is today. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And if you head over to Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe, leave a rating and review there. Please do this. It helps more people find the show. But Just Go Grind, the podcast is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, even on YouTube. Check it out. Without further ado, here is Khalid Al-Masri from Rise. Khalid, welcome to the show. My man, thank you for having me on. Yeah, happy to have you on. And I've followed you for, on the internet for years now. I feel like since the Todd Durkin internship days, where that's where I heard about you and met you. And you've been doing a lot of different things with obviously the events and the conferences. And I've been curious because I've always wanted to do one. So I want to start with the first time you ever put on like this type of event with these fitness conferences. What was the first one and what did that kind of entail for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it was back in. March 2013 was the first rise event. And at this point, man, like I tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. Like there's not really like a blueprint or a course or a, like a how to put on an event. Like there was nothing out there. And so I remember coming back, you mentioned Todd, I was in his mastermind. And I remember coming back from his mastermind and I was on Facebook and I just like, I'm, oh, it was always something I wanted to do. And I just, it was always on my mind. I just didn't know how to go about doing it. And it was one of those one when one of those situations where it was like imperfect action. Like just take action, just do it and then figure it out. And that's pretty much what I did. And I remember March 2013, I uh, go on Facebook and I was like, "Hey, I'm starting a fitness conference in San Francisco. It's NorCal Fitness Summit, looking for some speakers." And so that's what it was called before I rebranded it to Rise was NorCal Fitness Summit and I'm looking for some speakers. And luckily because of past relationships with speakers and attending events myself. And a lot of the speakers are, I have now become friends. I had an amazing, amazing lineup like that first time putting that event on. And it was in a gym. Uh, a friend of mine had a gym up in Mountain View, California. We had, I think, 40 or 50 people at the first fitness conference. And you know, I had a goal of like, I'm going to get 300 people. I had no idea. right? Like I didn't know marketing. I didn't know Facebook ads. I didn't know how to do any of that. So we got 50 people. I'm like, okay, I got to figure this thing out. Like that was the first event, March of 2013. Post went out October of that year. And here we are six years later. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you just took action and try to make it happen, you know, because so many people, they get stuck on the details and, oh, what is this going to be? What is this going to be? Whatever. And they don't do anything. And so I think it's really important that you actually took action on it. And to that point, were you the only one working on this? I was. Like, I actually don't have a team. I per se, like, I don't have any team members or employees of Rise. A lot of what I do have now is I've outsourced a lot of some of the, like, I have an event planner for this year. I have a team helping me with sponsorship. I have a team helping me with copy and some of the branding work. So I have outsourced a lot of the things that I... Part of this event is... And then with any business, you become your own kind of glass ceiling. And part of its growth and wanting to grow the event, I knew I had to bring in people to help me. And so for the last 6 years, I've pretty much done everything when it comes to marketing, selling, promoting, finding speakers, all that. Uh, yeah, that was all me for the last six years. That's awesome. Very impressive. And I also want to go back to the initial event. So even before then, so why events? Like, Why did you want to host an event in the first place? I think one, if you looked at the events in the industry, they always were in like LA or on the East Coast. And there was a lot... If you look at any gym owner, personal trainer, like when we are not training clients, for most of them, we don't make money. When we have to close our doors for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday to attend an event, though we're out going out there to get better and get educated and learn what's happening in the industry, we're not making money. And so for me, being in San Francisco, I mean, it was like a hub. There was, I think just in the Bay Area, there was close to about 10 to 15,000 trainers. If I looked at like Central California up to Northern California, and I was like, okay, like why do I need to travel when I can just stay here knowing there's a ton of trainers, but no, there was no events in San Francisco. I think one event comes up there and it's always at the beginning of the year and then there's nothing all year long. So I was like, you know what? I am going to put an event in San Francisco for Bay Area trainers. Like that really was the whole idea of that first event was like, this is an event for the trainers that are in the Northern California Bay Area so that you don't have to travel and you don't, you can save money and still get the education that you want. Yeah. And when you posted that, you said you posted in March of 2013 and you obviously wanted some speakers for this event. Like, how long was the lead time from posting that until actually putting on the event? So it was about 90 days from that first post to the, I mean, we had speakers already commenting that minute that post went live. I had people already saying, Hey, like the Nick Tominellos, the Pete Holmans of the world, like they were like, Hey, would love to speak. Just let me know what I need to do. And within 90 days, we had that event all set up and there wasn't a lot of overhead, right? It was in a gym. I didn't have to rent out, you know, now it's in a hotel conference room and that's a whole other crazy level of overhead. But uh, yeah, I was in a gym and I didn't have to pay rent for anything. And so we just had to rent chairs and a big projector and screen and the event was live. That's awesome, man. And obviously we're going to get into what Rise has become now, but I always am curious about the, you know, the starting story and everything. And how did you structure that first event? Like you obviously, how many speakers did you get? Like four, you have 50 attendees. Yeah, I think we had we had 12 speakers at that first event. I'm just curious, like, did you structure it like they just chose whatever topic they wanted? You just had a one-day event? Like, What did the makeup of the event back then? Yeah, so the first event was... We started with a two-day event. And the speakers, the topics were definitely more on what they wanted. Again, not knowing any better and not knowing any different. I didn't know the importance of selecting speaker topics and just how that flows into an event. So a lot of them spoke on what they were. And it was always more like, hey, pick a topic that you feel the most passionate about so that passion comes out when you're on stage. 
And luckily, a lot of the topics were great topics. And a lot of the speakers, it's what they spoke about. It's what they were passionate about. But yeah, there was no structure in how I picked those or how I asked them to pick their topics. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, especially early on where you're not really sure about the whole process. But it was already yeah cool enough that you like you had an event, you did it, you know, you booked a venue, which happened to be a gym, which is perfect. It was low overhead for you then. And what was the response from that first event, like the feedback after that first one? It was amazing. Uh, I think it was just the community, the intimacy of the event. It wasn't your typical fitness conference that you see now where there's thousands of people and nobody gets to connect and nobody gets to know each other. That was typically the, what I always heard from feedback was, it was that's what they loved about it was the content was great. The speakers were great, but it was the connections and the intimacy in the community that was created that made the event so special and so different. Yeah. And then looking back, I don't have to necessarily go through every single year, the difference, but I am curious, like early on, especially like you personally, after looking back at that first event, like how did you decide on, you know, okay, what's the second event going to look like? How am I going to change it for next year? I don't remember that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. We kept it in, we were not a place where we were ready to move it into a conference room yet. So we kept it at this gym. What I did do is we were doing two events a year for the first two years. And that became a nightmare because it was just as one was happening, I was already planning the next one. And what I ended up finding out was right, people would come to one, but necessarily not come to the next one because they didn't need to. And so moving into year three, I ended up just changing the way the flow of the event and making it more of an annual event versus a two time a year event. And that was the ease like that relieved so much stress. And, and I was able to now market and promote for a year versus like four to five months. Yeah. Instead of diluting maybe like your time in the event itself with that, just like, here, boom, here's our flagship event every year. Come to this. That seems like an easier way to go. Easier. I say air, air quotes, not easy, but easier. And with that, so um, with the first two years of doing those multiple events, how did you decide on the timeline? Like when the events were actually going to be, was it just strictly based on like what kind of venue you could get? Or how did you decide on when to host them even? No, it's a great question. So if you look at the industry, you know, mainly a lot of the events happen in that like May, April, June time of month. Some are in August, July. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to put the event at the beginning of the year because everybody's just coming off of New Year's resolutions. They want to get into the flow of their business, really figure out, you know, game plan the year. So I wanted to, I didn't want to do it at the beginning of the year. I wasn't going to do it during the middle of the year. So Q2, quarter three, where all the events were happening, I was like, well, you know what? There's really nothing happening at the end of the year. And we know we are, people like to procrastinate. So when it comes to CEUs and continuing education, they may wait till the last minute to go to an event. So I was like, let me put Rise towards the end of the year, you know, in October. And so that way I'm away from, all the other events and I could, there's really no other fitness events at that time and on those months. So that's kind of where, how we land our later on the dates was just looking at what's happening in the industry. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes sense. And you mentioned obviously that like year three, you kind of transition into that one year, one time a year event. What was the strategy from like the actually getting the word out marketing at that point? Because you had a couple years to kind of see things and then you're going to do one event. You had the whole year in theory to kind of prep for that. What was that strategy for like marketing and getting the word out? Uh, a big part of that was word of mouth, really getting a testimonials from past attendees, past speakers, just sharing their experience, sharing about the event. Uh, that was one piece of it. And the other piece was Facebook ad. The rise grew, I would say, 
really mainly from Facebook ads and really just understanding how to target the right audience and obviously sharing and that social proof of those past attendees with targeted Facebook ads. Like that's kind of the two worlds coming together. That's really how this event's grown since the third year. Yeah. I mean, that, that they are so powerful. I've done it for an e-commerce company called Clark Toys. And that was obviously e-commerce, which is different, but the power of Facebook ads, even now, even though it's getting diluted because there's so many advertisers, it's still such a powerful platform that's worth investing your time in to learn about and or hire out someone to do it for you. And with that, so curious on like the process for the whole cycle repeating. So let's just say you have the event then for the next year, like what is that planning process? What are some of those aspects of that? Because I am curious about planning an event eventually. And I know other people I've talked to are as well. So I'm curious on that process and how that kind of looks in a year. Yeah. The event happens in October. I take a couple months off just to like relax and, and like there's a lot of it. If you once you've put on your first event, you'll know what I mean because there's just a lot of energy and just man, you're on all three days and it's just you're 12 months of planning, you're on for all three days. I was like, I just need to shut the world out for a month or so and just not talk about it. And so I usually will take some time off. And then in December is really where I'll just kind of do like a brain dump. I'll look at like, okay, what went well last year or at the last event? What didn't go well? What do I want to do different moving into? How do we continue to evolve and continue to create an amazing experience for 2019. And so that in December, I start mapping out, okay, what's 2019's event going to look like? And then so for me, it's always about the themes. Like, okay, let's figure out what the theme is for that next year. For this year, it's the wild, wild west. And if you know what's happening in the fitness industry right now with just run this transformation program, run this program, oh, I can help you get leads. I can do this. I can do that. Right now, it's the wild, wild west. Like, and so as a new trainer, it's like, okay, who the heck do I listen to? So knowing that, that's how I pick the theme. So it's always like do the brain dump, reflect on the past event, and then start picking the theme for this year's event or the next year's event. And so that's usually kind of where I start. And then for us, like our days, so the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are also themed. So the event theme is the Wild Wild West, but then each day is... So Friday is all about attraction or attracting. And attracting meaning like how do you attract your ideal audience? But more importantly, how do you become attractive so that you can attract them? So that's day one. And then Saturday is all about selling, converting. So obviously, now that you're getting leads, let's sell them into your program and convert them into members or clients so that your business can start making money. And then three on Sunday is all about the wow or the experience. So once I have those three days, and those are my themes for each day, now it's for me, it's like, okay, who is the best? out there that can deliver on those themes. And that's where I start looking for speakers. And to the point of looking for speakers, that's another thing I want to dig into then. How are you leveraging past speakers versus connections in the industry versus people you don't even know yet? Like, How are you getting those speakers on board now at this point? Yeah, great question. Uh, a lot of the speakers now are... So one, I try... Rise was always about not bringing back the same speaker year after year. And if you've gone to any events, whether it's in fitness or any industry, most events will typically bring back the same speakers, same topics. It just becomes very boring and mundane. And so that was one goal of mine was like, okay, I don't want to bring back the same speakers. I want to have more women speakers because in the fitness realm, in the fitness events, there was not many women speakers. So I wanted to make sure I have women speakers. And then three, I wanted to go outside of the fitness industry. I wanted to find the guys who 
you know, when they're talking about going online, I wanted to be like, okay, who's the best in teaching how to go online? And then how can they make that relative for fitness professionals? So when I look at those three things, unfortunately now I get applications for Rise. Like I, you know, it's at the point now where it's been in a step. I've established it as this brand, as this event that's different than any other event in the fitness space that people would want to come speak at the event and will ask me to speak at the event. So finding speakers is actually not as hard now as it was back then. But like I said, it wasn't really hard back then because the relationships were built with those speakers years prior. Yeah. And one of the things too, I think you had posted, are you full-time into this now with Rise? Yeah. Okay. So how recently was that though? So I've always been full-time into Rise. I was running literally two full-time jobs. I was the director of fitness yeah, for a big box gym and I was running Rise. So I decided to step away from the big box space and really focus on Rise and then Rise Elite, which is my coaching business. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to dig into that. So when you were doing both, when you're obviously managing the big box gym as well as this, how did you manage your time and energy at that point? Obviously, there's like, I'm curious of that because it's just a lot going on. How did you manage that? It was tough. It was, man, there was days where there was days where I got, you know, I woke up, you know, I didn't have to be at work till about 10, 11. So I literally would get up, work out. And then from eight to 10, I would work on rise. When I had a lunch break, I would work on rise. And then at night, a lot of the work on rise was done at night. You know, when I got home, I would put in a few hours every single night. And then on the weekends, when I was off, I would put in a full day just working on rise. It was a priority, man. Like, like anything else, like we make time for our priorities. Like for me, I had to prioritize like my management of my time and making sure that I am putting enough time to build this event. Cause when you're a one man show, like things don't happen until you make them happen. And so I had to figure out how to create it and just how to work within my schedule of what else I had going on. Yeah. I really like the point of if it's a priority, you make it happen. I mean, that's just something I've always believed in too. Like, you know, people ask and it's like, how do you do these things? Like, well, it matters to me and I, I enjoy it too. And it's something I want to do. So you make the time for it. And now that you are full-time, you're always full-time. Now you don't have the other commitment. <laughs> how, how has that changed how you're approaching uh, the conference and everything you're doing? Oh man, dude, it's been like the creativity of the marketing and the messaging and like how we're it helped me become so much more creative and focusing on rise because my bandwidth now is not split in between running a team, running a department. It's all on this. And so my attention is on making this event like the best event ever. And now not having all those other priorities allows me to that happen. So it's just marketing more, marketing strategies, getting out there and talking to gym owners in, in the Dallas area. So it's just freed up my time so that I can do a lot of the work that needs to get done to get this event to where it needs to be this year. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm curious then too, do you still attend other conferences, other events? And what are some of those if you do? I do. I do. I've always been a big fan of events, man. Like for me, it's the opportunity for to connect and can and really understand what's happening in the industry. Like, and, but I also attend events outside of fitness. So I just was in San Diego at Traffic and Conversion Summit, which right out of for anyone in the digital marketing, online marketing space, that's an amazing event for even for a gym owner. Like, there was a lot of fitness professionals that I ran into and. It helps you understand what's happening in that space so that we can better understand how to communicate with our clients and how do we create a better experience and how do we create this customer adventure journey when somebody finds us all the way to when they are an advocate of our brand and spreading our word throughout the community. And so that's a big event I recommend. I, you know, and then I go to IDEA 
ideal world, perform better. I still attend some of those events because I'm still in the trenches, man. I still train clients. I still got my own client base. I'm, you know, so I, I train a couple of private clients. So I want to make sure I'm staying up to date on what's happening. But more importantly for me, man, it's just about connecting. Like I love going to events because I get to meet people. I get to connect with speakers, attendees. Um, and so those are like my big two or three events I attend pretty much every year. Yeah, that's awesome. Those events are definitely so much fun. I went to the Startup Grind Conference uh, in San Francisco this year, and that was such a fun time. And the only thing I regret is not going to more events because there, <laughs> there are always there's so many more, man. But especially doing an MBA full time plus the podcast and everything else, and it's like, yeah, either the funds or the time. It's like you can only do so much. But yeah, I vouch for that for sure. Meeting people and even people that are going to be in the podcast now because of that event, and I imagine you meet speakers and people who attend because of these events as well, which seems to be helpful. And with these, all these people that you're meeting and everything, how do you manage the speakers in terms of like throughout the year, just sending the email out or messaging them like, yeah, here's the new dates and whatever. Like, how do you manage those relationships with the speakers and past speakers of events you've done? Well, a lot of it's through email. You know, they'll get your speaker agreement, they'll get their confirmation. And then, they'll, you know, throughout the year, I will keep like right now where it's kind of quiet because really, you know, events in November and we're in March. So there's really not much happening from a speaker perspective yet. So right now, a lot of it is just putting in the, the marketing strategy. So when, when we land in that like six month, five month time frame, that's when I really will depend on the speakers and really rely on them to help spread the message and spread the word out. But I create all those emails and all the templates for them. to. I want to make sure for them, it is as simple and as effortless as possible. So I will create the email and then be like, Hey, Please send this out to your people, your link, your email, your, your post it on social media. But I'm the one that's creating it for them. So all they have to do is copy and paste and send out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's something that's super important. I actually talked to... You know who Rand Fishkin is from Moz? No. So Moz was a huge SEO company and it still still is a big company with multi-million dollar revenue, I think. But now he's just running a different company. But he was at the Startup Grind conference. And when talking to him, one of the things he mentioned was that was that very point of like making it as easy for like podcast guests, for instance, to like share your stuff or anyone that you're trying to reach out to, make it as easy as possible that for them to share it. So like the fact that you do templates and give them the emails seems like the perfect thing to do because then they'll be so much more likely to share and it saves them time and energy and it's something you should do as a host, I guess, of the event or be a podcast as well. And another thing I want to get into is sponsorships. So do you have sponsors as well for these events? Uh, absolutely. Like this event, yeah. Like you need sponsors. Like, I mean, you don't really need them, but when you're trying to do a big event, a lot of sponsorships help cover a lot of the cost of putting on an event. And But you got to be definitely strategic with the sponsors you bring on. And that was a lesson I learned from last year as we brought a sponsor on that just wasn't really a good fit, but definitely brought in, you know, was going to spend a lot on sponsorships, but sometimes those decisions will bite you in the butt. So you got to be, yeah, right. Right. So you got to definitely be really strategic with sponsorships. And um, what I mean by that is really looking at if I am the business owner, take the trainer out of the equation, the business owner, what would I need in my business to help it run efficiently, more effectively, and with a lot like more systemized. So I will specifically look for sponsors that solve those solutions and solve those pain points for the business owner. But that even that process is a long process. I mean, you're talking emails, follow-ups, phone calls. I got a sponsor for this year that I've been working on for the last four years. And we stayed in touch for the last four years. And this year was the right time for the event to be a right fit for what he's doing. And he ended up being a sponsor. So 
mean, it's a long-term play with sponsorships. Yeah. And I have talked to someone else, Maria Burke, who runs Pop Productions, which puts on Dessert Goals and, and Rom-Com Fest, another one. And she has she's had like 10,000 people at Dessert Goals. It's crazy. And yeah, that's insane. I'm like, oh my gosh. And sponsors are obviously a huge part of that as well. I love the details. So I'm really curious about how do you approach finding these sponsors, making the list of who you want and the follow-up process and how far in advance, like anything you can tell me more on the sponsors. I definitely want to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. So I have a list that I've just accumulated over the last five years. And basically, I literally will go to other event sites and see who their sponsors are and just right. So that, but I mean, like, why do the extra work when the work was already done? So I'm just going to go figure out who they are. Are they a good fit? Like, as a part of going to events, you know, is I also look for sponsors. Like, let's be real. Like, if there's a sponsor at one event, they're probably might sponsor mine, but I got to make sure that we're a right fit for each other. So part of it is it's an ongoing list that I've accumulated. I think there's about 180 businesses on this list. And some of them are not a good fit and some of them are and some of them just were on there as like a maybe. So once I have that list, I will go through and now the goal is I want to get them on the phone and so I can have a conversation, right? Like no one can sell rides better than me with just the story, the passion behind it. So I want to get them on the phone, but it's usually like something I'm doing different this year is I'm not sending out like a cold email. It's I'm actually sending out a cold video. So I went to, I downloaded an app called Vineyard and basically I shoot like a 60 second video. And basically it's just like, Hey, like, I know this is probably really different. It might seem really weird, but I wanted to do something that was unique and not just send you another email. I wanted to send you a video. This is who I am. This is my event. I would love to set up a phone call with you to see if it might be a good fit. We're, we're a good fit for each other. And dude, like it works because they're like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. It's really unique. So. You got to think different. Like you got to one think. Okay, how are others like at other events? How are sponsors being treated? Okay, I'm going to do mine this way. So I'm going to do video reach out instead of a cold email reach out. And then the webinars, the Facebook messaging, the Facebook blast. Like there's just a lot of things I do for sponsors to help them get their name out before the event even arrives, so that people know who they are. And so if they have any questions, they can ask those questions at the event. Yeah, that's awesome. And how do you typically structure that like agreement or what are some ways to structure that kind of sponsorship agreement? Is it just like straight up flat fee? Is it just uh, you were trying to get them on for multiple years? Does that never happen? Like I'm curious on that structuring too. It happens. Some will come on. I had a sponsor on for a couple of years and then it was just their model was changing and they were going a different direction. For the most part, a lot of them come on just for the year. You know, and we have a few returning sponsors that will come back year after year, but it's usually for that year unless we agreed upon having them on for a few years. And then there's just different levels. So there's like a silver, platinum, gold level. Each level brings something different to the table as far as maybe they get 10 minutes on stage, they get access to the email list, you know, they get to do like a podcast interview with me on my podcast so that we can reach out to a bigger audience. So but it's a la carte, man. Like it's almost like a menu. Like I always tell sponsors like, yes, those are the three options, but think of it as a menu because we can intertwine those. You know, if there's something in the gold sponsor that you want in the platinum sponsor or vice versa, whatever, like let's figure out how to make that happen so that it's a win for everyone. Right. And there's uh, it's all different ways you can yeah, give them value. And I know from again that other interview, hearing about sponsors and you know, those ways that you can give them value, because you can't necessarily tell them straight up how ROI it's gonna be for them because you don't know. It's not like a Facebook advertising campaign. It's like we have this many followers, this much reach, and this is what we can show you. And yeah, how much do you value that? 
it's kind of arbitrary in some ways. And with your event, obviously it's grown. So I'm sure you've grown your email list and everything like that since the beginning. But you were at 40 or 50 people in the first time you did this. And now how many are you expecting for this latest event? So yeah, we last year we ended up having around 250. This year, my goal is to double that and hit 500. And so that's the goal, man. The goal is 500 for this year. Awesome, man. And what are the things this year are you kind of doing different than you did last year? So one is it's no longer in California. So now it's in Dallas. Uh, that was that's one, a big thing. <laughs> that's a big thing. So I moved it to one. I moved to Dallas. So the event moved to Dallas. So now that it's more of a central location, you know, East Coast, West Coast, that should definitely help reach more business owners that don't have to fly from the East Coast all the way to California. It's like a three-hour flight into Texas. So that was the first thing. And then the second one was. We definitely changed it to, you know, it's a business conference for fitness business owners. And I really got clear on that saying like, we're going to do the technical stuff. We're not going to do the hands-on stuff. It is a business conference for those in the fitness space. So moving it, getting clear on the messaging. And then what I'm adding this year is breakout sessions. So if you look at any fitness event, there really isn't breakout sessions. It's a lot of speaker, 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 break, speaker, lunch, more speakers. And then you walk away with almost like a hundred different things written down and have no clue, right? Like you open up your notebook on Monday and you're like, where the heck do I start? I have no idea what I'm in, what that happened. It's like, cool, let me come back to it. And then life takes over and the event has lost its spark because there was just no action or no implementation taken after the event. So this year, at the end or in the middle of each day, and I'm still kind of working out the schedule, there's going to be about a 60 to 90 minute breakout session where there's going to be like the Rise Workbook, um, which I'm working on right now. And all attendees will get this Rise Workbook. And basically, they are putting in like their big aha moment from each speaker. And then what's like that one action item they're going to do when they get back to their gym on Monday. And basically, if you're looking at ideally, if I have 21, 22 speakers, there's going to be 22 action items that they're going to take action on when they get back to their gym on Monday. Now it's just a matter of like, cool, out of those 22, what's the first one that you got to take action on? It's going to create the domino effect for the rest of them to fall in place. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And with that, obviously you said you're aiming for 500, 500 this year, which would be the biggest you've had so far. And what is the grand vision for Rise and what you're trying to do? Like dreaming big, what does it look like for you? So man, for me, like 500 is my sweet spot. Like it's definitely 500 is big enough to where I now I know I'm impact. Like my goal is I want to impact 10,000 trainers. And so I know that if for me, if I can help 10,000 trainers create a business that one is they are inspired about and they are making money in and it's created the opportunity for them to spend more time with friends, with family. You'd be surprised how many emails and messages I get of trainer saying, Hey, I'm leaving the industry. I could not make it work. Or I wasn't making enough money. It just wasn't for me. And those things like, I'm like, man, like how well are we doing or how good are we doing as an industry to help these inspired fit pros understand how to make this thing a successful business. And so for me, man, like hitting that 500 mark allows me to stay on pace to get to the 10,000. But more importantly, 500 is still small enough to where I can keep it intimate and keep that community feel to it and not just become another number in a sea of thousands of people. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And with the 500, obviously you're aiming for knowing the past conferences, events you put on. I mean, how close to the event does it actually get booked or 
yeah, we have the same with, with fail, failed to capacity. I mean, with people like signing up and everything, because I imagine a lot of it's towards the end. But how does that work in terms of people actually signing up to attend the conference? You're right. It's definitely towards the end. So, you know, we had about 30 people sign up in February. So cool thing is like I, we had people sign up really early and then you'll have people sign up kind of like here in the next month or two. And then you'll get a big towards the end, the last like 30 days, you'll see a big influx of ticket sales. But dude, like I do not want to wait for the last 30 days. Like just really stress. That's just a lot of stress. So I am marketing this year, like Instagram, Facebook, uh, I'm running a contest, like, I am marketing all year this year to just, I am making as much noise as I possibly can about this event. Cause I just know, man, like for the person that shows up to this thing, like your life will be changed. And there's no event. Like if you look at any other event in the fitness space, there's no event like it, which is why I know like I'm going to spread the word all year this year. Yeah. And it sounds like an amazing event. And you said some of those things you're, you're doing with the, Initially, this was Facebook ads, which was huge for you. Then you said you're going to do some Instagram contests. Like, what are some of those other things? I'm kind of obsessed with like growth strategies and everything like that. So I'm curious on what you're using to promote this. Yeah. So one, obviously, I got to keep building the email list. So I'm doing some giveaways. So a lot of the speakers, about about five of them have books. So we're doing like a book giveaway. So enter your email to get a book giveaway. That's one campaign. I'm giving away a barbell from Rogue. Uh, so enter your email. And- you enter to win a free barbell. Uh, I'm going to give away like an aerodyne bike down the road and a certification down the road. So my goal is over the next six months. So and actually like, like the next four months is really focusing on building the email list because once I have that, I can start having the conversations about rise. So that's one strategy. And the next one is basically organically growing the list or at least growing the awareness of the event through Instagram by sharing testimonial videos to sharing a testimonial posts in stories. Every week, I started doing the Road to Rise 2019. So every Friday, as soon as we hop off the call, I'll post it. I go on Facebook and I just kind of create this like, here's where we are. And then what's funny is it's, it's bringing people into my world and into Rise. And now for those that never, like yourself, like I've never put on an event, but I'm thinking about it. Now you actually get to see what goes into putting one of these things on. And it, but it also, it's like, wow, like I'm building this business in front of the world, in front of people that are watching it. And now everyone gets to see how an event gets put together. Right. Which is very interesting to me. For sure. I am curious on how, how it's all going to go. And with the email list, obviously you built up. Is there actual, like, are you doing an autoresponder in the email list? It's just you posting different things and having a schedule with that. Cause I imagine you'd have a lot of content with testimonials and stuff that you could and past events too, that you could showcase in like a drip campaign. I'm curious if you're doing that. So with the emails, it's more of just like sending email out once a week. And it's more just of like a, what's going on. Here's some content, not so much testimonials yet. I'm testing those videos on Instagram right now. Eventually though, probably after like May, June, I will start sharing those videos and some sharing those testimonials almost like a drip campaign over the course of summer so that people can get ready. So when we open up the cart again, people are excited to register. Right. Yeah. There's so many different things you can do, obviously. Yeah. There's, a ton. <laughs> yeah, there's only so much time. <laughs> you're, you're only one person. Obviously, you're the main person with this. Like, What are some of the other things you said you're outsourcing? I know you mentioned a little bit in the beginning, but what are some of the other things Yeah, with people? Yeah. So sponsorship, more so outsourcing the market research of finding the sponsor. I always tell, like, even with my consulting coaching clients, I always tell them, like, there's certain things I got to own. And so if I looked at my hourly, like something that's a high value, like a $1,500 sponsorship, 
a $5,000 sponsorship. I'm not going to delegate that out. So they don't want to hear from anybody else, but the guy who's running the show. And so, but I do need help setting up those phone calls. So that's what I'm outsourcing right now is I brought on um, a company that's helping me do that. And we have a sponsorship goal for the year, but their job really is, you know, find the sponsor, get them booked on a call, and then I will get them in close and get them as a sponsor for Rise this year. So that's one piece I'm outsourcing. The other piece is I actually ended up hiring an event planner. I think that was the biggest, man, that's been the biggest like relief because they are doing a lot of the negotiating with the hotel, finding the AV, really just the details of just the operational side of running this event for me on the day of the event. So that was another piece of an investment. I mean, that was a, for me, that was a, I mean, that's a $10,000 investment, but it's like, Hey, like that's so much time that I am now not having to deal with. There's things where now she owns those and her and I just talk once a week. That's awesome. And I did see with following you on social, like one of the, I think the venues fell through or something. I'm curious on the challenges, the challenges he had to go through, man. That's been the biggest pain right now. And it was tough. And it's just one, I'm a new event in Dallas. So I rise was established in San Francisco. So it was easy for me to find a venue and do all that. So Rise was new to Dallas. I had an outside company that didn't know the area trying to find me a venue. So they weren't really getting the best deals possible. And then when we did find a venue, there was just like a, well, the dates weren't saved. So a sales guy made a mistake or no, that's not like, it's actually going to cost you $30,000, not $15,000. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And so it's been four months and I made a post. I called it patience and faith. Like it was just like patience and, you know, it's now what we're in almost April and I just now found a venue. But two, like having the faith, like KJ, my event planner, she showed up in February and her and I have been talking about going back and forth and finally brought her on. And she was able to find me this gorgeous venue here in, in, in Dallas that's actually going through a remodel. So it's going to look completely different than when November gets here. But it took four months. Like I didn't want to rush it because I knew we would find the right one. I knew the right person would help me find the right one. And we ended up finding it. So now I'm just waiting on the agreement so I can sign off on it and rock and roll. Yeah, man. Oh, that is, that's nuts. There's so many <laughs> challenges with that. the venue, especially. And so far in advance, trying to figure that out in a new city and everything, man. I commend you on doing that Thank for you, sure. Man. Thank you. And you mentioned like, I think it was called, uh, is it Rise Elite? Or what is the other thing besides the, the conference itself? Yeah. So it's Rise Elite. So what that is, is part of men, like I've been doing this for 12 years, helping running gyms, running clubs. Sales and marketing for me is just is my superpower. Like I can talk sales and marketing all day long. And uh, having run clubs where I mean they were generating up to four million a year in personal training, like I know a thing or two about putting together teams, building teams, high performing teams. And so Rise Elite was more created on uh for those gym like in that one to three year window. And that's it's I specifically target that one to three year window because I know the challenges that come with being a brand new trainer in the fitness industry. Like I was there myself when I was at the big box space. And when I left the big box space and went independent, I went through those same struggles and like just understanding how to market, how to sell. What are my systems? You know, you know, who do I need to talk to? What are the partnerships that I need to form? So 
Rise Elite gives me that opportunity where someone who's in that one to three year window is making some money. They're making at least five grand a month at this time can say, Hey, I need help because I don't know how to get this thing. Like, I don't know what systems I need. I don't know how to market. How do I create my sales system? How do I create my customer journey? So I basically now for it's a three, six month program that I work with gym owners and personal trainers on. That's awesome. Yeah. Diversifying the revenue streams, obviously with that and which is perfect. And that's another thing I always kind of mention to people. Everyone has a different experience. Obviously you have a ton of experience in the sales and marketing side of growing those gyms and like everyone has that. So like, how can you leverage that? If you are entrepreneurial, how can you leverage that to create a business or even a side hustle outside your main job? And I think that's an important skill that people can master to have different revenue streams and to kind of expand their income and make more of an impact as well, helping people out because we all need help and people have those different areas of expertise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to add to that, Benny, like you think like the mission for me is like, I'm not going to impact 10,000 trainers if I'm not sitting there, you know, I could stay behind the scenes, just be the event guy and just put on rise. But like, that doesn't speak to me. Like I wanted to eventually get to the point where I'm like, Hey, I know what I'm talking about. Let me step on stage and let me help you. But more importantly, it's like, let's take it outside of helping 10,000 trainers. It's more like, look at the obesity epidemic that's still growing. That's getting worse every year. It's like, if I can help you with your sales, your communication, your marketing, and get clear on who it is that you serve and help, like then we as an industry are making an impact and really changing lives. So for me, yeah, it's not really about just those 10,000 trainers. It's like, it's the thousands of people, those 10,000 trainers are going to impact because they went to rise and learned how to put their business together. That makes sense to them. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And as you've kind of grown and gone through this whole process of obviously putting on events and all the things you've done in the, in the fitness industry, like besides going to conferences, which has been, I'm sure, huge for you, like what are other ways that you've learned and grown like, or any particular books, podcasts, audiobooks, anything that's been helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely books, you know, E-Myth, that's always one I reference. Extreme Ownership, that's always one. I'm Anything sales, that was a good one. Do anything sales, man, like Pitch Anything was an amazing sales book. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, amazing book. Masterminds, you know, I was part of Todd's. And then I outgrew that one until I found a new one. And so for me, it was hiring coaches and joining masterminds. And I know some of you that are listening can be like, well, those things cost a lot of money. Well, no, man, it's like an, it's an investment. Like I always double down on my own investment because, you know, I'm going to invest on me. And so for me, like spending $5,000 on a mastermind makes sense because it creates this like, okay, I just spent 5,000. I'm going to go learn some stuff and I got to implement this because I want to make my money back. But then I'm going to learn like the gap of time gets closed because that coach is going to help you like just learn so much faster. So you're not going to have to make a lot of those mistakes they made have made. So for me, it's like masterminds, coaches, books, events. Like those are like my big four. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've definitely done my fair share of those. And I was in Todd's for about a year as well early on after the internship. And one of the things you mentioned with closing that window of time, it's like, yeah, going on your own in theory, you can do a lot of the things. It just takes way more time. And also, you may not know what you don't know, obviously, in terms of that. So you join a mastermind or have a coach or something else in a book you read that you never would have thought of that can help you accelerate your business, which is a super, super important thing to note there. As we're kind of wrapping up here, I just have a couple more questions. One of the things, if someone like myself, for instance, is starting an event or wants to start an event, like what are some of the just one or two things you would tell them to do? Man, first one is definitely like, don't go crazy trying to figure out like a venue and 
I got to be in a conference room. Like, how do you keep your overhead minimal that first year? I think that was for me, like the saving grace was we profited the first year we did the event because we kept our overhead down. And so I think that's the big one is don't get caught up in, I got to be in a hotel conference room and I got to like grow your way to that. Like Rise grew its way to a hotel conference room. You know, it took us four years before I was even in a hotel conference room. So I think it's really starting small, just really understanding like you're not going to get three, four, 500 people at your first event. And here's why. And I say that from my own experience because I didn't have an email list. You know, I wasn't out there. Like I wasn't a known figure in the industry. So I started literally from zero. And so you might have a different experience because you might have an email list and you've grown it up to this point before you start running your event where you might get a couple hundred people. So everybody has going to have a different experience with their first event. Mine just was a little bit harder because we started with zero across the board where others who do have an email list and, and already have an established community could potentially have a couple hundred people at their first event. So it's always like, it's just the man, like walk away from that first event. No, you just created something amazing and something impactful. And now it's like, cool. Now I get to do this again in a year and make it even better. Yeah. That's awesome. And also looking back on your career as well, like what other, just any particular lessons or things you've learned that you think is uh, useful for people? I, I think it's, 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 Trusting the process. I and mean, we hear that all the time. And it's like, well, trust the process. <laughs> Sixers, yeah. It's like, right? But it, it's true, man. It like, is. When I didn't trust it, like is when I got in trouble. And when the business took a hit or when I lost clients or it's like, it's going to take a process and it's going to, it's a journey. And then it's like to learn to enjoy where you are in that process and in that journey and not looking at the past and not looking at, well, this is where I want to be. It's like, yeah, like I want to be there, but like I want to be at 500 attendees, but it's going to take us six years to get there. But it's like, am I doing the work and am I trusting the process? And am I doing the little things to know at some point we're going to get to 500 attendees or I'm going to get to more clients or I'm going to open up my business. So it's just, I think that's like, trust the process. Yeah. I think it's incredibly important. And Khaled, where can people go to learn more about Rise and everything you're doing with the company? Yeah. Uh, so if you want to know more about Rise, go to attendrise.com. So it's www.attendrise.com. All the, we got a majority of the speakers are on there. So you can kind of see who's speaking this year and you can get on the notification list if you want to know more about that. And then for me personally, Khaled Almasri1 on Instagram and Khaled Almasri on Facebook. Awesome. And I'll make sure to link all of that as well in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. You'll be able to find it in there. Thank you so much for your time today, Khaled. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime, brother. Thank you for having me on. I definitely appreciated being on your show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash just go grind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.